Alrighty. And we are on episode number two. I want to thank all the listeners out there catching in on the 13 families and how to build long-term generational wealth the way they did, but doing it in the way that actually helps others. Uh, for me, myself, I do this because uh, people need to hear this information. It is not widely spoken out there. Uh, the information that is widely spoken out there is the corruption and the faces that are seen. So I'm going to be talking about the faces that are unseen. And those faces are the 13 stars on the back of the U.S. dollar $1 bill on the right-hand corner where there is the eagle with the shield. And I do this for not just that, but also because this is my purpose. It is something that I do for the Lord and His work. Uh, I've said this in the first episode that many people that come from the satanic occult, about 90-95% of them actually turn to die-hard Christians who will say that the blood of Jesus Christ is the only way because of absolutely everything they've seen. It's disgusting. They've seen children slaughtered for ritual sacrifice. Uh, they've seen pedophilia. They've seen massacres. They've seen witchcraft and occultic battles to gain power and many other disgusting forms of really just gaining power and moving towards their ultimate goal, which is to not only bring about the one world system, the one world government, a one world religion, and the Antichrist. That is their purpose, that is their mission, as well as to kill and eliminate and hurt as many Christians and Jewish people. Those are the two objectives that they follow and always have and always will till the very end. Now, in the first one, we talked about the Astor family. Okay, not many people know about them, and they are very prominent, but we're not going to go into them. We did a talk about that in the first episode. Uh, now, in the second episode here, we're going to go over <laughs> a name that many people know, but hardly understand at all. Everybody has heard the last name Bundy, as in Ted Bundy. Okay. Uh, we will go over Ted Bundy to start because he has really no identity with the Bundy family. Uh, there's not really any records that trace him or link him to them. Um, and, but if there are, they are hidden by the satanic elite under the Moriah hierarchy. Uh, but before moving forward, we will of course, go over the exact books 
that have helped me build long-term generational wealth, and I will also help you build long-term generational wealth as a free gift at the end. So stick around, and we will definitely get that for you. Okay. So, as with the Bundy family, we're going to talk about, of course, Ted Bundy, but we're also going to talk about how they established themselves in skull and bones, which is what the Bush family did. They established themselves in Yale by going into the skull and bones. And we'll get into how occultic these uh, fraternities and secret societies really are. We didn't go too much into it into the Asters, um, only because it it's already pretty prevalent there with them, but uh, with the bunnies, we'll get in a little bit more detail about that and how it's a f how they really utilize that. But they also, after establishing themselves themselves in the skull and bones, they secured themselves through business and the intelligence network. This is very very key because there are many outlets that they utilize in order to establish control. Uh, it's not just one country, it's not just a couple little things here and there. No, it is an overall. And I know there are people that want to understand how is this relevant today. Well, we do talk about that. And we will have another episode that goes full in-depth detail about how a lot of the corruption that's going on right now and the evidence there is something that we will go after these 13 families because it is very important to understand the 13 families that seek to have control and power over the world before understanding why the things are happening and the evidence behind them because it only links to the people that we see really it doesn't link to the people that we don't see which is why that part's important first so without further ado we'll get into ted bundy so with Ted Bundy, he did know what everything was going on, okay? But it was a, he, he claims it as a force that caused him to commit these murders. Now, his ex-girlfriend, her name is Elizabeth Kendall, and there is also on Netflix a couple of, sections that do go in on Ted Bundy. One is Zac Efron, which is more the dramatized version, and then there is the documentational version. Okay, this one goes towards that effect. Um, but there's nothing wrong with the dramatized one because it was pretty spot on. Just there for the show is all. But her book is called The Phantom Prince, My Life with Ted Bundy. And this is how she quotes him, specifically on page 176. Says, I don't have a split personality, and this is Ted Bunny speaking. I don't have blackouts. I remember everything I've done. Like, like, Samamish. We went out to Ferro's for ice cream after eating hamburgers. It wasn't like I had forgotten or couldn't remember, but it was over, gone. The force wasn't pushing me anymore. I don't understand it. The force would just consume me. So this is 
Ted Bundy himself telling this to his ex-girlfriend. And it's true, this actually does happen with many individuals. They are uh, put in a forceful position, not that anyone is around, but it is an intense force that takes control of their physical body. And it's not very prevalent because the only times that happens when they are in full control is what's demonic possession. But in Ted Bundy's case, uh, he was in full control, but to the point where when he had that force overcome him, he didn't have that control. Now, that's one of the things that I actually have studied and was successful at was the criminal mind. It was very interesting to me because they were very detailed. I'm a very detailed person. And growing up, I've had a bit of a dark side, but not to the point where I <laughs> did anything what they did. But because it intrigued me, I wanted to understand how and why. And it made sense. They played a double life. And that's what a lot of serial killers do, which is what a lot of the murderers today do. In politics, you can really call them serial killers, serial shooters, serial ritual killers. They actually perform blood rituals. There's actually an individual that dies every day, 365 or 364 days a year. They do this for power. As for Ted Bundy's case, that's not it. Uh, one that actually kind of relates to the, or does really relate to the documentation, or the documentary on Netflix. Uh, this is a book by Stephen G. McCaud. And that's spelled M-I-C-H-A-U-D. Okay. And he wrote the book, Ted Bundy, Conversations with a Killer. Now... Again, like I said earlier, there's not really any evidence that does support Ted Bundy as linked to the Bundy family. So it's best assumed that mind control was used and turned him into what's called a hidden provocation agent without his knowledge. So, and so that's actually one of the books that I'll be giving you at the end that talks about this, what it really is, and more in, in depth onto it. But... As for a hidden provocation agent, it really means it's someone that uh, provokes a group of people or an individual to crack in order to gain power a certain way or to finish their task, their job of doing that. Now, easiest example, if anybody has played Red Dead Redemption 2, just look at the storyline. John was in there a little bit. Um, but you were playing Arthur, who was more like the fatherly type figure to John. And he was the one that was on the bad-looking side of the gang. But that's how you can really see how a hidden provocation agent is. Uh, but for Ted Bundy, we can go into his background a little bit. There's not really much to it other than the fact that uh, he was adopted by Johnny Bundy. Uh, Johnny uh, was married. There's not really much information 
on his wife. Uh, but you can Google it. It is there. But the, it was in Washington State he adopted Ted. And with Ted, he actually had a really weird uh, childhood. Uh, he was actually into hardcore sexual fantasies. And so it, it got darker and darker and darker. And so that's where it just went on and went down from there. Um, but moving on from Ted Bundy, since there's not really much to do with the Bundy family, we had to get that out in the open because there would be a lot of confusion between Ted Bundy and the actual Bundy family that have a lot of prevalence within the world and the government, the U.S. government. Uh, but the Bundy family, their or origins really was before 1635 and they landed in Boston. After Boston they did spread out to other states like Connecticut, New York, and North Carolina. Uh, we're gonna get a little bit more into North Carolina, how that's actually a very prominent place of the elites. Uh, there is a couple other states we will get into that are prominent states for the elites, but for now uh, we're just going to leave it at New York and North Carolina. Uh, but we were we will go into a few different individuals. We're going to go speak specifically about a couple different ones, about two or three. And the rest we're just going to name off and a bit about their backgrounds. Because the ones that we're going to fully discuss about have so much detail, it's really really disgusting but we need to hear this so that way we can understand really the types of lives these people live how to really avoid them but how to use long-term generational wealth the way they do in order to help prosper the world help benefit it in the right direction helping one another in love that's why we call this truth in love our podcast so for the first individual that we have, well, it's more of a couple of them. So there's Walter H. Bundy and Edwin Bundy. They were both prominent leaders in the Watchtower Society. As people, if they don't know what the Watchtower Society is, I've talked to some that don't know what it is, but many do. But for those who don't, it's the Jehovah's Witness. We will get into how it's not in the Bunny family, it's actually in another family. Later on, we will discuss and go into detail uh, who started that and how that really affected the 13 bloodlines. But that's how they were prominent, and we'll, we'll definitely go into them a little bit more. But the next one is going to be Eric Bundy. Now, he was placed in charge of the prisoner Howard Hughes by the illustrious council of a very prominent one of the 13 family members. I'm not going to say their name. We're going to leave that a little bit later. It's going to be towards the end of the 13 episodes. But we're also going to go a little bit into detail about Howard Hughes and Eric Bundy. Eric Bundy is going to be one of the people we are going to go over there's not much on him, but we're going to go into what his position was with Howard Hughes. 
Uh, but for the next few, we have Eugene H. Bundy, who's a lawyer and a judge uh, between 1889 and 1896. Okay. Now, he was also, here's the list. Vice President and Director of Central Trust and Savings Company. He had banking ties. The Director of the Industrial Company. His partner of Bundy and Jones. Chairman Executive Committee of the Republican State Central Committee in 1898 and 1900. I was in Knights of Pythias. In the Order of Redmen, Order of Elks. And he was an Episcopalian. Now, on the first episode that we talked about, we went a little bit about religions and how that is very diverse, but the Bundy family didn't really have any involvement in religion. There are other families that some are aware of, but we're going to get into that into later episodes. Um, Again, for now, it's just going to be over the business and intelligence network that they built. So Frederick McGeorge Bundy, another one, was initiated into the Skull and Bones in 1921. He was chairman of the North Atlantic Filet Council. Now, there's also Harriet Lau Bundy, married Skull and Bones member Gaspar D. Andalot Boleyn. And initiated in 1939 with Harriet's brother. Harvey Hollister Bundy. This is one of the individuals we're going to go into. We're just going to talk about right now the different positions he was in, but we're going to go into more detail about him in just a minute. Uh, But he lived from 1888 to 1963. He was initiated into the Skull and Bones in 1909. He was a special assistant to Secretary of War Stimson, and that was in the Skull and Bones because of that. Uh, He was also a law clerk for Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes. He was a key Pentagon man on the Manhattan Project. He was Secretary of U.S. Sugar Equalization Board. He was Chairman Panama Railway Company and the U.S. Canal Zone. He was also Chairman of Boston Personal Property Trust. He was Director of Boston Five Cents Savings Bank. He's director of State Street and Union Trust Companies. He was director of New England Merchants, director of R.M. Bradley Company. And in 1952, he became the chairman of the Carnegie Endowment for an International Peace. Also was chairman of Foreign Bondholders Protective Council, trustee and president of World Peace Foundation, chairman of Wellesley, and that's pronounced Well Esley College, chairman of the New England Road Scholarships Selection Committee, member Century Association, and some other things that were Unitarian. Now, we also have Harry W. Bundy, who's a Mason, Satanist, and a chief adept, which is the ninth degree of the Societis Rosicruciana in Civitatibus Fodertus. And I know my pronunciation is going to be a little bit 
bad, but that's all good because the abbreviation is SRICF. So the next person is going to be Harvey Hollister Bundy Jr. And him. He was possibly initiated in one of the other Yale secret societies. He's also a banker. We're not going to go much into him as more of his father. His father is more as the dirty details we're going to get into. There is also Catherine Lawrence Bundy, who's the daughter of Harvey Hollister Sr. There is also McGeorge Bundy. Okay, and Harvey Hollister Bundy had five children. Okay, so McGeorge Bundy was born in 1919. And he was initiated into the Skull and Bones in 1940. He was also on the Council of Foreign Relations. He also was a part of the present Ford Foundation. He was also in the Bilderberger. He's also a special assistant to Presidents Kennedy and Johnson on National Secretary, excuse me, Security Affairs. So he was a National Security Advisor. We have Robert Bundy. Now, there's not much on him, but if you want complete full details, it's not as descriptive, but the best book to look into is called Images of the Future, the 21st Century and Beyond. Now, we also have William Putnam B Bundy. And we're going to go over Putnam. That's a very prominent name on a different episode. They are connected to a, another family. And we're going to get into a little bit about that. We'll talk about that now. Actually, there's a lot of intermarrying of cousins and uh, relatives. So they really go... This, to the the full core of evil, like even having sex with your family, that's that disgusting. <laughs> I'm not. Just, it's like, what are they thinking? It, it just, it's the power that gets their their heads and all this all these things that they can get, and they just don't see the end result. They do, but it's a blind result that they're looking at. Result that's going to lose. But the next with William Putnam Bundy, he was born in 1917. Don't know what day both McGeorge and his brother William died, but he was initiated into the Skull and Bones in 1939, which is odd, a little bit later than his brother McGeorge. But he was also in the CFR, the CIA. He was there between 1951 and 1961. Uh, once a CIA, always a CIA. That's how it works. And you'll hear that very prominently with people from the CIA and people that have come out of the CIA and people that have interviewed with them will say that all the time. Once CIA, always CIA. But that doesn't change their beliefs. Everybody is different, but only those that are connected to the satanic elite will always have the same evil view. But William P. B Bundy was the editor of the CFR's Foreign Affairs from 1972 on. 
He was also a member of the permanent steering committee of the Bilderbergers. He was assistant secretary of state for the Far Eastern Affairs, and that was between 1964 and 1969. And in 1960, it's a little bit backwards, he was a staff director of Presidential Commission of National Goals. A little bit forward, he was a professor at MIT from 1969 to 1971. He was part of the law firm of Covington and Burling, which represents many of the Illuminati, or as we call it, illustrious council elite in Washington, D.C. The next Bundy. Okay, so we have Charles Allen Bundy. So he was the foundation executive he was the manager of several companies. He was the President Springs Foundation, President Close Foundation, China, and as well as South Carolina Parks, Recreation and Tourism Command, uh, member of South Carolina Coordinating of Commerce, Council of Economic Development, the Rotary Club President, and the chair Chairman of Bangladesh for the First Methodist Church from 1978 to 1979. Charles H. Bundy was the secretary of Frost Foundation. Now we have also Charles W. Bundy, who was the secretary of Cornelius Foundation. And we have Edwin S. Bundy, who was a business executive, Cornell University, Century Association, as another. We also, sorry, we also have Hezekiah Sanford Bundy. He was a congressman, a lawyer, not much else on him. Some of these we don't have much information on because it's really not necessary to know all unless you want to completely study in depth each family. That's okay, but we're not here for that. Here for the basic details on these families, such as Jonas Mills Bundy, who is the founder and editor in chief of the New York Evening Mail, which is the newspaper. He's also a close friend of President Garfield and also had a law degree in Harvard. Now we're moving on to Omar Bundy. Okay, this is the last one we're going to go over before we go into detail on the four. There, there's more three than four. We're going to talk about four of them in just a second. Um, but for this last one, Omar Bundy, he was a West Pointer. He was also General William... Sorry, he was a West Pointer, and that was it. Sometimes I think I'm dyslexic. Dys Lexic, because I <laughs> don't check my grammar. <laughs> but, you know, we have notes. We have to look at notes. That's what helps us in order to give us the real information. It's good to make mistakes. Like I said in my first episode, you know, and you, you got to make mistakes in order to improve and get better. That's, that's what people love. They love authenticity. We're not here for that picture-perfect world because that picture-perfect world doesn't exist. Hey, it's how you are right now with what you got. Having that joy with it. So here's the joy in exposing these people. The evil that they've committed needs to be out in the open for people to hear. To know that these people need to be dealt with severely. As much as we can. But we have General William Edgar Bundy as the last one. He was a U.S. attorney for the Southern District trustee for Ohio University and editor of some journals. So those were 
a fair few amount of the Bundys. But let's go ahead and talk about the four individuals that we're going to go over. We're going to look at McGeorge Bundy, William P. Bundy, Harvey Hollister Bundy Sr., and a little bit about Eric Bundy with Howard Hughes. But these are the most powerful Bundy family members we're going to go over. So as without further ado, we're going to go into Harvey Hollister Sr., as for his grandfather was a lawyer and a congressman, and his father was a lawyer. Okay? Now, besides the initiation and involvement in Skull and Bones, because we did go a bit about Harvey Hollister Bundy Sr., he works for Justice Wendell Holmes. Now, to get a little bit in more detail, Wendell Holmes worked with communist spy Alger Hiss. We're going to talk a little bit more into Alger Hiss here, of course. Alger Hiss worked for the CFR, and Alger Hiss almost ruined the Bundy fortune under William P. Bundy. So you'll see that it is something that they actually do. They fight each other. They do everything possible to get ahead as at every chance to get every opportunity, every advantage. It's how they work. It's how they operate. Okay. It's good to look at the upper hand, but when they look at the upper hand, they do it in a way of cutting that person down and out and superseding. But more into Harvey, he was an assistant secretary of state from 1931 to 1933. Now, he worked under Secretary of State Henry Lewis Stimson, okay, who was initiated in Skull and Bones in 1888. And McGeorge co-authored with Stimson called On Active Service of the Treasury. So both McGeorge Bundy and Henry Lewis Stimson wrote that book. Now, for Harvey... Uh, he was not only supervisor of the Manhattan Project, developing the A-bomb, but he was the key Pentagon man, like I said earlier, and got a job at Carnegie, Carnegie that Alger Hiss was going to obtain, but he didn't, and this is the interesting part, because he was convicted of perjury. Alger Hiss, of all things, doing so many evil things, going back and forth between Russia and the U.S., gets caught up on perjury. So, that's how the Bundys were able to take prominent place because they are one of the 13 families. The 13 families are always going to do their best to stay in power. So, as to the next one, William P. Bundy. Okay. Now, what he did is he started his career in Covington and Burling in 1947. And that's the Covington and Burling works as a front for democratic political movement. Now, there's a book to support this by Anthony, not Anthony, Anthony Sutton's book is called America's Secret Establishment, an Introduction to the Order of Skull. Okay? Now, with Senator Joe McCarthy, we're going to get into him a little bit here as well as Richard Nixon. Now, Senator Joe McCarthy was 
heavily aware. He knew exactly to the extent the NWO, New World Order, was planning. So he subpoenaed William Bundy to testify about the New World Order. Now, the subpoena was because he caught William donating $500 to help communist spy Hiss defend himself. Ah, see, they even play on other sides too. They play both sides. So at least 13 families do it. But Hiss's brother also worked for Covington and Burling when William was there. That's their connection. Now, unfortunately, the CIA director at the time, Alan Doles, is not American at all, and is definitely a Satanist and illustrious council member working for them. Alan Doles got in the way when William was escaping, and Senator McCarthy wrote to Doles, and I quote, I note your refusal to give us any answers to our questions. Your insistence is very revealing. Unfortunately, Senator McCarthy was discredited and killed by the New World Order. And we're going to look into that more as we get into this, that anyone who stands in the way of them is killed. Because this all leads back to Satan, Satanists, the satanic elite. If you don't join them, you die. Because they know that there's people that can come to power without their help. So that's why they eliminate them. Because there are those that will stand up to them. And everyone must do that. That's why we're here. But to go into Richard Nixon a little bit into this, you know, he came into the picture. He was actually a socialist of the Council on Foreign Relations. What he did was he convicted Hiss so as to recognize Red China and their communism. That was the whole point of convicting Hiss. It wasn't because of what Hiss did. It was so that way he could cover it to recognize communism coming about and have that promotion of it. Now, after this, William was placed as staff director of the Presidential Commission on National Goals and stated, as the goal for this institution is to stimulate changes of attitude, the American citizen in the years ahead ought to devote a larger portion of his time and energy directly to solution of the nation's problems. Many ways are open for citizens to participate and the attainment of national goals. This resulting from what's called Hegelian philosophy. Uh, where we can get this is on page 50 in America's Secret Establishment. That same book mentioned earlier. Now we're going to go on to Eric Bundy with Howard Hughes here. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. There's not much... To in on him, um, but he was given oversight of the day-to-day operations of the prisoner Howard Hughes. They did kidnap Howard Hughes. He had a double. We're going to go into his double a little bit here. But how this really ties in is that uh, Robert Mayhew was friends with Mafia strongman Sam Giancana. Okay? Now... 
With Robert and others like him, they infiltrated Howard Hughes's organization prior to the kidnapping. So it made it look like they were his best friends. That's how it's done. They do these things. There's multiple ways that they take on the offense. This was one of them because Howard Hughes was not wanting to cooperate, which is why they kidnapped him. So during this time before his kidnapping, he actually had a double. Okay, and Howard Hughes' double was named Brooks Randall, who was also a Hollywood actor. So the illustrious council took advantage of that later on to confuse the media. So he actually died before 1975. The official record says 1975, but it was around 1970, 1971 is when he actually died because he was kidnapped and taken in prison and they killed him for the, not joining his side, their side. Now, where you can get this is there is a detailed report on Howard Hughes in the Senate report number 94-465. That's entitled, Alleged Assassination Plots Involving Foreign Leaders. And the date on that is November 20th, 1975. Now we have McGeorge Bundy. McGeorge Bundy is the last individual, and then we're going to go into how the occultism played into that. McGeorge Bundy went to Yale for the Skull and Bones initiation, and then went to Howard, Harvard. <laughs> and this is the really weird part. He went there just to get his law degree. Why would you go to Yale to be initiated in for the skull and bones and then just jump to another high-end college? Simple. Initiation to get more power. And they do this all the time. So it doesn't mean that they're going to be at that one university like McGeorge Bundy did. And here's the really messed up part. He was terrible at all the work that he did. And he was given, not kidding, he was given consistently the job he wanted without question. That's why you'll see people get the job that they want without question, because of their connections. This can be good, this can be bad, but in this situation, as for who we're going over, it's definitely bad. Here we're going to go over exactly about that. So he joined the army as a private and obtained rank of captain with ability to plan logistics and other details for the Sicily and Normandy invasion in one year. That is unheard of in the military. No one does that. Okay. We're going to talk about Anthony Sutton, who lays it clearly on page 51 about that. Says... Can a 23-year-old with no military experience undertake planning for amphibious operations? The answer is obviously no. Even his father, the order, is in the Pentagon as an aside to the Secretary of War, which is the order. Now, without any experience, and this is going on to more job work, but without any experience or credentials, 
in economics, becomes consultant to the Economic Cooperation Administration. The best way to relate someone exactly in this situation of doing the same exact thing is with the World Health Organization when they placed Dr. Tedros Adhanom, and I'm going to butcher his last name, Gebreyesus, <laughs> but when they made him the director general, he was a well-known sociopath for almost destroying Ethiopia three times economically. That's how prominent they do today still. That's why Trump took away funding from the World Health Organization, because Trump knows what's going on. Even after that, he <laughs> McGeorge taught at Harvard for four years and became dean of the Faculty of Arts and Sciences for the school after 1949. Then, from 1961 to 1966, was special assistant for national security affairs to the president. Again, it was an intelligence. There was some education, but mainly business and intelligence is where they laid their groundwork and established themselves and secured it. Now, we're going to get more into how they went into the occult and how this really ties into the satanic elite. And we're going to get more detailed, but we're going to start out step by step so we all understand and are on the same page about this. So another prominent figure that ties in how we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about right now is Harry W. Bundy. who's a Freemason, Satanist, and chief adept of the Colorado part of the SRICF on April 20th, 1948. And the chief adept of the Colorado area is in the ninth degree. Now, as there's many branches within this system, one individual by the name of Dr. Wynn Westcott, a famous Satanist and supreme magus of Societas Rosicruciana in Anglia, which is the SRIA, wrote the rare book, History of the Societas Rosicruciana in Anglia and Ninth, and states the purpose of the organization, and quote, says, the aim of the society searching out the secrets of nature to facilitate the study of the system of philosophy founded upon Kabbalah and the doctrines of Hermes Trismegistus. Now, the name Hermes means the trice greatest Hermes. Okay? Hermes was an Egyptian scribe god who claimed authorship of all magical writing. And so he is the one that is credited for the gross, satanic, witchcraft rituals the ancient Egyptians and modern Satanists continue to practice what he started. Out of Egypt. Now... There is a book by David Carrico, and it's called The Masonic Egyptian Satanic Connection. 
And this book explains how the Egyptian Book of the Dead, Masonic rituals, and modern Satanism are all tied together. Again, I'm going to keep sharing the facts on how the connections really align. Because that's what I love to do. I love to put the connections together. Figuring out, you know, what this section does with this section and putting it together. Like a puzzle, you know? This is a life puzzle, though. <laughs> now, out of SRIA sprung secret societies such as Golden Dawn, Stella Matutina, and Ordo Templi Orientis. We're going to get in a lot more in the, the OTO, but for now... That's just one of them that was created out of it. Now, Societas Rosicruciana has many locations around the world called SR, which is Societas Rosicruciana. And then it goes in Anglia, which is England. There's also SR in Scotia, which is Scotland. There's SR in Gracia, which is Greece, or Gracia. There's SR in Canada. There's also SR in Civitatibus. Foderetas, which is really odd, because the one for the U.S. is really long and confusing compared to the one in England. But, you know, that's what they like to do. They like to make confusion. Now, I'm not going to give out this individual's name, because there are some people that are on the run from these people and need to have their safety first and foremost so that way information like this is provided now some people have died giving information like this not to me personally but to others from the research that has been found as putting the connection together that's why it's very important about this but this is what one person that has exposed nw said it remains for the student to follow every line of inquiry to the point of con concentration where nil threads are gathered and systematically manipulated for the eventual destruction of Christian civilization. It may lend to Benai Barith, the Universal Israelite Alliance, India or Tibet, but in any case, a thorough and complete study of Rosicrucianism, embracing a minute one of Rosicruciana in Anglia, and its various branches will be a great step taken in the direction of uncovering much of the political and moral chaos of present-day history of mankind. So as you can see here, they are completely satanic. They want to kill the Christians, and they want to have complete mind control and manipulation and absolute power over every living being. Now, there is another individual, a congressman, B. Carol Reese. Uh, was, uh, you know, he, he was born December 22nd, 1889, died March 19th, 1961. Was another heroic politician that was exposing the New World Order agenda of the connection between his, the Carnegie Endowment Foundation, J.P. Morgan Bank, and the rest of the tax-exempt foundations. Uh, now, again, because of this, people die that are exposing and going against them. But that's why we 
honor them by exposing this information they worked hard to obtain. This last note here, before we go into how to build long-term generational wealth on the second step, and their next free book. But this last part says that I'm just going to read right here for you. Some other notable works are the Almanac of Famous People in the Census Records, National Cyclopedia, or Cyclopedia of American Biography by James Terry White, and Rosicrucian Societist by Harold Van Buren Voorhis. Okay. So that is the Bundy family, how they were prominent, what they did, why they did what they did, and how they really rose to it. And it's not just because they were able to do and nobody else could. They did use that mind manipulation, but we can get back at them. Because, yes, they had their connections. They were unified. Divide and conquer is their, one of their strategies. It's not the strategy, but it's one of the strategies they use. So without further ado, we're going to go into, of course, how to build that long-term generational wealth since you have waited so patiently about it. And the second step, this is going to be very crucial. This step cannot be taken lightly in the time that we are in right now. And the reason I say that is because from the first step that we went over was to build a business, the entity, the formation of it, the foundation. Now, the second one is to then do the acquiring of assets. One of them is real estate. Now, with what's coming about in the times ahead, there is an economic collapse. There's going to be what's called a redistribution of wealth on the masses. I'm going to let you think on that for a couple seconds. Now, I let you think on that a couple seconds because, as I talked about on the previous episode for long-term generational wealth, we actually went over how if you have any debt right now, and you have any physical resource co connected to that debt as collateral, that is going to be completely gone if you do not pay off those debts. Now, in replace of such, that's why you buy physical resources to put on top of that those that will have equity in them, liquidation. Now, depending on how you create the liquidation and equity in it, will be dependent upon how you're able to then protect those assets and liabilities. But what you do, say you have that taken care of, you go and collect real estate as one form. We're going to use that as an example because that's what everybody knows. What you do is you collect that real estate in order, one way or another, doesn't matter the method, just as long as it's collected, in an ethical and moral way, of course. You put it under contract, and you lease it out, and you trust it. 
The reason for this is because what you're going to have is going to have a property management company or you're going to have, depending on the business, it would be a certain executive that would oversee the assets. But with that said, there's the lease. The lease is what gives you the liability protection, which you attach to the corporation or the LLC instead of you. And besides the contract and the lease, you trust that asset or those assets. It's very important for this because that is how no one is able to touch it. As one way. Now, since you understand the second concept, and if you're doing like rental properties, uh, then you need a property management company. But make sure you do your research. And of course, as my disclaimer here, I do not give any financial advice or any law advice or any tax advice because I'm not licensed to do any of it. I just teach how to build long-term generational wealth and the steps to it to understand the concept. So there's going to be what's going to help out as the next book in the selection is The Art of War. Okay, Art of War by Sun Tzu. Now, many of you have heard of it, but you need the correct version, the one that actually makes sense, the one that actually is easy to understand. Reason why? Because J.H. Huang, that's spelled H-U-A-N-G, is a Chinese culturalist. He's a Chinaman who studied Chinese culture. Because all the other ones are from different countries, mainly in America. American Chinese culturalists. So it's best to go to the real source, the one that understands the real culture that's been there, that is in the culture. So, J.H. Wong, who translated Sun Tzu's Art of War, is your next material. I gave two to three different books on the first episode, but for this one, giving you just the one, because it's, it goes in depth and you need to study it. But the reason for it is when you're going into business, it is a cutthroat business. So you want to know really how war works, but you don't want to use it unless you're forced in that position. But without further ado, appreciate you all listening patiently on this podcast. And for the next episode, we will go into our third family. It is a very, very in-depth family. But the great thing about that is it is a name that's more well-known than the other two that we went over. But that's okay. 